You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We started a series last week, you can be seated, uh, in the Gospel of Mark called Holy Sweat. And we are fixing our eyes and our hearts on Christ Jesus, the servant of all. And we're going to follow that same road to discover how we, as Mark writes this gospel, how we too can be servants of God and and servants to all. In Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3, Jesus has five separate encounters with the Pharisees or the scribes, the the, the teachers of the law. We're going to look at two of those five encounters this morning. Just a reminder to you, the, the Pharisees were religious leaders of the day. They were Jesus skeptics. They were always on the sideline. They were lawmakers, um, certainly making laws that seemed absolutely unachievable. And so these, these Pharisees were on the opposite side of the grace of the gospel of God through, through Jesus Christ. And so if you're a copy of God's Word, and I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you today or your, your Bible app, would you go with me please to Mark chapter 2? We begin to see this interaction that Jesus has uh, with the Pharisees here in Mark chapter 2. So go to Mark chapter 2 with me and let's go to verse 1 together. Once you get there, we'll actually be just in this chapter for the remainder of the morning, so you can keep your app open or your Bible open, and we'll constantly refer back to these, these stories we're about to read in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he, speaking of Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, this is not like the house of Jesus. But Capernaum becomes the the headquarters of Jesus for about 18 months or so. So about half of his public ministry takes place right here in Capernaum. And and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door of of this house. And he was preaching the word to them. I love that. He was preaching the word to them. I mean, who here wouldn't like to hear Jesus preach the Bible? I mean, what an incredible thing to be there him as he taught the word. Now, every now and then, and I'll be honest, it's just every now and then, I get some slight criticism for preaching out of the Old Testament. Well, Jesus did. That's what he's, he's not preaching. No, there is no New Testament at this point. He is preaching out of the Old Testament. So send an email to Jesus if you're upset about that, going back to the Old Testament. And so here he is preaching the word. Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, they being these friends, came bringing to him a paralytic carried by Four men. Let me just stop right there. This paralytic had four friends who cared enough to carry him. Thank God for friends who carry us to Jesus. Thank God for friends, and maybe many of you in this house can relate to this, friends who pointed you to Jesus when you were wondering and you were lost or you were isolated or you were confused or you were in rebellion. Thank God for friends who point us to and carry us to Jesus. And when they could not get near him, near Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Stop right there and kind of talk through these passages together. Again, this takes place at Capernaum. 
which is a relatively small village. It's on the, the, the Sea of Galilee, which is not actually a sea. It's actually a lake, but it behaves like a sea. And it's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum, again, kind of becomes the, the home, the headquarters of Jesus. A lot of people that we know and a lot of miracles that we know happen or live there or took place there at Capernaum. So here's Jesus, and he is, he is beginning to teach in this house, and, and a crowd is crammed into that house. And the Bible even says here, it's flowing out the door. No one else could even get inside the door. And inside, Jesus was teaching, and people were eagerly listening, including the scribes, including some of the Pharisees, who were trying to figure out who this disease-healing, demon-casting, demon-delivering teacher is. And suddenly, four men show up and they're carrying their fifth friend on a, on a mat. And they want to get into the house. But the house is overflowing. So they, they come up to the door and they're not even able to get inside the house because people are crammed, it says here, in, in, in the door frame, in the doorway. So they're not even able to, to get in at all. And can you imagine with me, in fact, this morning, I want you to use your imagination because Mark is so quick and so to the point that sometimes we can run right through chapter two and really kind of lose out in, in our imagination what was actually happening. I, I can see in my mind's eye these four men carrying their fifth friend on, on a mat trying to get to that door and, and tapping on people and trying to budge through. And I can see in my mind's eye people in the doorway looking around and making eye contact with this man who is paralyzed on the mat but still not moving, still not making a way. They're, they're trying their best to, to hear this, this teacher who is teaching with such great authority. And so when, when pushing and tapping doesn't work, the four friends decide to get, oh, what's the word, resourceful, or maybe a little scrappy. Now for the men in the room, let me just say, I bet we all four, all, all of us in this room had four friends just like this, because I, I, I know how this conversation went down. I was a part of some of these conversations growing up in elementary school. I can just hear that first friend going, hey, let's go up to the roof. And the second friend going, genius, Jesus isn't on the roof, he's, he's in the house. And the first guy going, no, no, let's go and take off the roof. Didn't you have that friend growing up? Let's take off the roof. And then the third friend, we all had this friend, this was the rule following friend. This friend going, no, 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 we can't do that. That's illegal. We're going to get in trouble. Someone could poke their eye out doing this. We can't go up there and like, we're going to be in so much trouble if we just take the roof off of, off of this house. And then the, and, and the, the third guy goes, well, what else are we going to do? And then there's always the fourth guy in the group. This kind of the calm-headed decision maker. So at some point, I think that friend said, no, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. Let's go take off the roof. Let's go. And so in, in Palestinian times, most Palestinian homes had a, a roof, and, and, and don't think of it as a, a roof structure like we have here in the West. It was a, a flat, like a porch. Uh, many of those who lived in Palestinian times, they would go up to the, to the top of their roof, and they would eat there, or they would, they would, they would cool off there if, if the inside of their house was getting warm. In fact, if you kind of fast forward in your mind, there's several stories that take place in the New Testament on the rooftops. It was a place that we might consider like a back porch for us here in the South. It was a place that they'd go and they'd eat and they would, they would be together. And so these four friends, they carry up on a mat their paralytic friend and they go to the top of this roof. And can you just imagine being inside that house? And all of a sudden, a little dirt begins to fall from, from the ceiling. And then more dirt begins to fall on 
friends around you. And then even Jesus himself is dodging dirt because the, the, the cave-in the, the cave is about to happen, so it seems, on the, on the top of that, that roof as you're looking up at that ceiling. Now, let me just tell you, I, I've preached before in the middle of distractions, but this is nothing like a crying baby. This is like the roof is about to cave in on them. And I can just, I don't know about you, I can hear the, the, the homeowner saying, what is happening to my roof? And we know from other gospel writers who the homeowner is. It's the mother-in-law, oh, the mother-in-law of Peter. In fact, she's already been healed of a headache back in chapter one, verse 30, and Jesus is probably gonna need to heal another headache for her after she looks up. And don't you know that impetuous Peter is about to cry out something as well as the roof of his house begins to, to cave in, the roof begins to actually begin to, to peel back. And by now, Jesus, despite his authoritative teaching, don't you know he has lost all the attention of everyone in that packed house? Dirt begins to fall. Tiles are being moved around. Some sunlight begins to peer through. And it's interesting, if your Bible still open, Mark's description in the original language suggests a major demolition job being done. Because the text literally says here in verse four, they unroofed the roof. Like it was not, I know in Sunday school or vacation Bible school as a kid, we kind of see it being a little square, the size of the mat. What Mark describes it as is like a tuna can just being rolled back. They completely took off the roof. They unroofed the roof. And once the hole is established, this would be my favorite part of the story. Everyone just has to be sitting there in amazement. What is about to happen? And then slowly, this is not on a pulley system. I imagine it had to be the mat with four corners on, on rope, tied together with, with rope, and these four friends are lowering down, trying not to drop their paralytic friend. And everyone's just staring, and here comes this paralytic man. I've always, man, I've always wondered what he was thinking, what he was saying. Excuse me, par- pardon me. This, man, this was not, you don't know my four friends. They're... They're idiots. I am so sorry this is happening. We can come back tomorrow. I'm, sh- I am so embarrassed. I'm so, so sorry. Jesus, I, Jesus, I'm so, I know you're talking. This is terribly embarrassing. And then all of a sudden he finds himself nestled at the feet of Jesus. And I love that Mark says here, or what he doesn't say here, there's no interaction happening with anybody at this point. I mean, Mark almost kind of shows us that not a single word was, was at least recorded or spoken even by the friends. And, and again, this is my mind's eye. It may be really different than your mind's eye. I can see Jesus looking down at this man and then looking straight up with these four faces peering into what was once the ceiling. And I don't know if their faces were nervousness or anxiousness on their face or big smiles, or, I mean, I don't know, men, probably great pride in what they just did. Probably a lot, man, look what we just accomplished. Four idiots up here on this roof. Look what we just did. We unroofed the roof, and we actually lowered this friend down somehow, and here he is in the, in the presence of Jesus. Again, notice that Mark doesn't even record a single word spoken even by the friends. Now, we can probably safely assume these men were sweating, I mean, out of fear or maybe just out of being on the top of a, of, of a house there by the Sea of Galilee, but they had lowered down their friend. What was gonna happen next? And I love verse five. What impressed Jesus in verse five? 
their ingenuity, their loyalty, their stamina, their construction skills. We don't know exactly what Jesus saw on the friends' faces, but we do know that Jesus saw faces of faith. Because then Jesus says to this man, son, which gives me goosebumps because I know what that word is in Greek. It's tekron. And what it really means is my beloved child. It was this word of intimacy. It was this word of familiarity. It was a word of family. It was a word of established relationship. Tekron, my beloved son. And it really is a statement of someone who is younger in age. And so if you've always considered this man to be a a 35-year-old, more than likely he was a 12 or 13, maybe even a 10-year-old. Son, my beloved child. The one who belongs to me is what Tekron means. It's a very tender word, your sins are forgiven. Which is a little odd because that's not what they're asking for. I don't think these four friends lowered him down so that their 12-year-old buddy could have his sins forgiven. They were looking for a miracle. They were looking for a walking teenager. Look at the rest of the story here. Mark chapter two, verse, verse six. Now some of the scribes, here they are. Some of the Pharisees, some of the scribes were were sitting there. Now just stop right there. Of course they were sitting because they felt that self-important. Everyone else was crammed in the doorways, but, but these men, they, they were not there to, to, to serve. They were there to be served. They're not sweating. There's no holy sweat on them. They, they lived to, to be served. They found a place to, to sit. We'll be sitting right here, thank you. We'll be taking up more space by, by sitting down. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Now Jesus had already shocked the packed house, who was already in shock from an unroofing of the roof. When he said in verse five, son, a real tender word, tekron, my beloved child, you young child, someone that I know already in a familiar sense, your sins are forgiven, which leads the scribes to think to themselves. You pick that up in the passage in verse six and verse seven, your Bible is still open, thinking the penalty of blasphemy is death. Therefore, this man, this teacher deserves to die. Look, love what it says here in verse eight. In Jesus Hears their hearts questioning. It must have been brutal to be a Pharisee and walk around a mind reading Jesus all the time. Jesus look at you and go, you're thinking what? Did I say that out loud or did you just hear me? How'd you hear me think that? Oh, I hear what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. This is what happens. These, these men were thinking to themselves, thinking in their own hearts, and Jesus is able to pick up on that. So in verse nine, he goes, okay, so what's easier? Which, what he's really saying is, what's the greater deal, to, to forgive sin or to heal paralysis? You know, one is temporary, but one is permanent. 
to my knowledge, this young boy, who would be a really, really old man by now, is not still walking around the streets of Capernaum because his physical healing was temporary. It was the lesser of the two. But I think we can extrapolate from this story when Jesus calls someone son and says, your sins are forgiven, that this man is now in the presence of Jesus Christ in the heaven of Jesus today. That is the greater thing because spiritual healing lasts forever. So here is this young man who is healed and it is remarkable. But Jesus is asking, but what's an easier thing to do? And he said, I'll show you. Verse 10, I have the authority to forgive sin. So he turns to the paralytic and he says here in verse 11, rise, pick up your bed and go home. I mean, Highland, can you picture that? Are you with me? Unroof roof. Four idiot friends peering down. They somehow managed to lower that, that friend, that young man. And Jesus hears the questioning of the Pharisees, even though they're questioning in their hearts. And so he addresses that and then throws out the thing. What, what, is, what is a bigger thing? What's a greater thing? What is more difficult, to forgive this man's sin or to, to have him stand up and walk? And let me just go and tell you that I'm gonna show you I have authority to forgive sin by asking him to rise up and pick up the bed and, and go home. And to the amazement of the crowd in that crowded house, and probably to the disgust of the scribes who are watching, and certainly to the delight, oh, the great delight of the four friends on the roof. I mean, that's what I can imagine. These four probably teenage, maybe preteen guys running down that roof, running down those stairs, jumping off that roof, going down and seeing their once paralyzed friend. I know that they were high-fiving, they were chest-bumping, they were, they were hooting. Can you believe what you did? Do you remember when we pulled back that roof? Yeah, I was just there, it just happened. When we pulled back that roof and we, and we lowered you down, look, brother, you can walk. You can walk. I hear that story, I read that story, I just think about this incredible picture of these boys racing home in the wake of a messed-up house behind them rejoicing that their teenage friend was walking. I love verse 12. Mark chapter two, verse 12. And so he rose and immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So he immediately picks up his bed, leaves the room. The crowd moves for him this time. Again, the friends were outside re rejoicing he picks up his bed, he goes before them so that they were all amazed. And so for the very first time, we hear the people talk. Now the people in the house are finally gonna say something here in chapter two, verse 12, the second part of verse 12. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and here they spoke. We never saw anything like this. What an understatement. We've, ne we we've never seen anything like this before. I wanna to submit to you this morning a few thoughts from this story. Stay with me here if you don't mind. Mark's point is not the healing. It's the contrast between skeptical Pharisees and sweaty followers. If you'll forgive the forceful use of sweaty in that passage or in that point. I'm not really sure that healing 
was the, the big picture of what was happening here. It seems to be all throughout chapter two and the beginning of chapter three that this contrast, this side-by-side comparison between these real skeptical Pharisees and these followers who, who were just pressed into Jesus, these sweaty followers. You know, the, the issue of Pharisees, when we talk about Pharisees on a Sunday morning, it's not, the issue is not finding them in the Bible. And the issue is not finding them in Waco or finding them here in this church. The, the main issue when we talk about Pharisees is seeing if we have, if we can find Pharisee tendencies in our own lives. Ouch. Let me give you a couple things we can catch from this story. I guess the question we need to ask my, ourselves is, am I a Pharisee or a follower? Do I really love Jesus or is this all just ritual to me? Do I have a, a grasp, an understanding of grace or just an understanding of performance? Here's what I wrote in my notes to pass along to you this morning. The skeptical Pharisees missed that Jesus was at work. It went right by them. In fact, all throughout Mark chapter two and Mark chapter three, the very end of Mark chapter one, they were missing the healings of Jesus, the, the servant of Jesus, the, the serving of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the forgiving of Jesus, the, the casting out of, of demons by Jesus. They missed it. I mean, they saw it, they heard about it, but they missed the work. You see, here's the bottom line about Pharisees. They were blind to themselves like their need of a savior, blind to their own darkness, blind to their own depravity. But they're also blind to the acts of God. They were blind to the work of Jesus. And they just missed this completely. So the skeptical Pharisees, they missed that Jesus was at work, but the sweaty followers, they didn't want to miss a moment with Jesus. I mean, they didn't want to miss a minute hearing him teach, watching him perform these incredible miracles of power and of grace and of helps that showed others he was the son of God. In fact, this is what Jesus said himself. Remember, we saw this earlier in, in, in the passage in verse 10. I'm gonna show you who I am. I'm gonna show you that I have authority to forgive sins by, verse 11, telling this young man to rise up and walk. You see, the sweaty followers, they didn't wanna miss even a moment with Jesus. Let me let you see this here, not only in chapter two, but if your Bible is open, go back to chapter one. In chapter one, verse, verse 33, it says that the whole city was gathered together at the door. So all these people are just cramming around Jesus. They don't wanna miss a moment with him. In chapter one, verse 37, we see that same picture. And they found him and said to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Jump back in chapter one, look at verse 45 with me. But he went out, Jesus, the, the man, who was healed by Jesus, went out and began to talk freely about what Christ had done and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer even openly enter a town. People were pressed up against him. Look again at chapter two, verse two. We just read it. And many were gathered together. There was no more room, not even at the door, because he was preaching the word to them. Look down to chapter two, verse 13 in your Bible. And the scribes and the Pharisees, no, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd, here it is, all the crowd was coming to him. Do you see what's happening for these sweaty followers? They didn't want to miss a moment pressing into Jesus. They didn't want to miss even a moment hearing him, being near him. They pressed around him. They were constantly following him. Skeptical Pharisees, the skeptical Pharisees missed that Jesus was at work, but the sweaty followers didn't want to miss a moment with him. Here's the second thing I put in my notes this week to pass along to you. The skeptical Pharisees doubted lives being transformed. Look at 
They were just filled with doubt. In fact, they always asked a very annoying question. And moms and dads, if you have a three-year-old or four-year-old at home, you hear this question all the time, why? When you think about it, that's just an annoying word, why? Maybe the way we say it here in Texas, why? It just sounds like you're complaining. It just kind of sounds like you're murmuring. It just sounds like you're upset about something. And that was the word of the Pharisees in Mark chapter two and in Mark chapter three, why? They had this this constant sense of of, of doubt about them. In fact, I want you to see this as well. Look here in chapter chapter two, again, verse seven. Why? Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That same chapter jumped down to verse 16. And when the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors? Why does he eat with with sinners, look at verse 18 of that same chapter. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why? Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not? Jump down to verse 24 of chapter two. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why? Why are they doing that? What is not lawful? Why are they doing that on, on the Sabbath? I, I would encourage our hearts, Highland, to move from the wise to the wow. Wow, God. Look what you have done. Look at your healing. Look at your salvation. Look at your power. Look at your mercy. Look at your mission, which is to not come to be served, but to serve us all. See, the skeptical Pharisees, they were constantly doubting lives being transformed. But the sweaty followers, they were amazed at transformation. They were amazed at the works of Jesus. And again, just jump back. I hope your Bible is open. Still look at chapter one. Look at verse 27. Here's that word. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, what is this? This new teaching with authority. This man, he commands even the unclean spirits and the, the demons themselves, they obey him. And we saw it already in our story in chapter two, verse 12. And he rose, he immediately picked up his bed and went on before them all so that they were all, there's the word amazed. In Greek, existama, or existami. And it, it, it means, really in Greek, they lost it. 21st century vernacular, their minds were blown. I mean, they were so amazed, they were overwhelmed Exist on me means to lose it. Literally, it means kind of to lose your faculties, to lose your, 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 your sense of, of, of what, is, what is proper or what is natural. They were just undone by it. Isn't that interesting? The Pharisees were skeptical and doubted. The followers lost it, overwhelmed with wonder. Here's the third thing I'd say to you maybe about the point I think Mark is trying to get across to us by the Holy Spirit's leading is this contrast of skeptical Pharisees and sweaty followers. I would say the skeptical Pharisees, they missed that Jesus was sent from God. They just missed that. But you know what's sad about that? They were so close. They were so close. Look at verse seven with me again. Chapter two, verse seven. Here comes that why question again. Why, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Look how close they were. They knew only God could forgive sins. And Jesus was saying, I'm God. I am sent from God. 
God is my father. I am here to do the work and the will of my father who is God. I am God. Look how close they were. The skeptical Pharisees missed that Jesus was sent from God. But catch this, the sweaty followers, they glorified God that he sent Jesus. They worshiped God. I bet you caught this. You're a very smart congregation. In verse 12, did you notice that the crowd in the house, even though they had just seen the man, Jesus, the son, Jesus, the promised one, Jesus, call out this young boy to stand up and he stood up. They did not thank Jesus, nor does it say here they glorified Jesus. What does it say? They glorified God. Because the sweaty followers understood this man is from God. This man was was sent. And so that word right there is a great word at the very end of verse 12. They glorified God. You probably know this word in Greek. It's doxodzod. It's where we get our English word doxology. And with that word in Greek on the, on the very plain level, it means to make someone's name glorious. They made the name of God glorious in Capernaum that day. They worshiped, they sang, they, they magnified, they made large the name of God because they glorified God. They knew that this man was sent from God. And I guess what I'm trying to say, let me wrap up all three of those points into one point. I could have saved you about five minutes here. Here it is. A Pharisee sits and watches with a skeptical eye. A follower acts and sweats with a servant's heart. That's why it begs the question of all of us this morning in a statement of inventory, who are we? Pharisees just kind of sit back with skepticism, cynicism, watch others do, celebrate, rejoice in transformation, or are we the sweaty servants of God? The followers that we act, we, we see what God is doing, we move with a with the heart of a servant. I think this is probably what John had in mind as well when he wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, you see on the screen behind me, dear children, in other words, dear followers, dear sons and daughters of God, let us not love just with words or, or speech or just sitting back and watching, but let us love with actions and let us love in truth. It's a statement about the motion of a follower. And I would say also it's a statement about how skeptical and sedentary Pharisees become. Sit and watch and doubt or engage, believe, and see God display his wonders. Let's wrap this up in Mark chapter two, verse 13. So Jesus went out again beside the sea. So here he is at Capernaum again and all the crowd. We've already determined that everyone wanted to press up against him because sweaty followers, they don't want to miss a moment with Jesus. And all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them again. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. You may know him as Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, sitting. Don't miss that. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And the rest of this verse, like I told you last week, blows my mind. At least Mark does not record any introduction. Follow me, my name is Jesus, I was sent from God. I'm I'm here on a mission. Um, Here's some credentials, here's my references. Um, You can go back into Capernaum, go to Peter, mother-in-law's house. I just did some 
pretty cool stuff back then. So if you just find the house without a roof and you can kind of ask them, you know, what, what happened? He just said, hey, hey, Levi, you're sitting. Matthew, you're sitting. Would you follow me? And here's the rest of it. And he rose, which by the way is the exact same word what the, the paralytic boy just did. He rose. Matthew rose and followed Jesus. I'm not losing my mind. I know I said this to you last week, but I've got to say it again. You know you're maturing in Christ when immediate describes your obedience. You know you're growing up as a follower. You know that you're maturing as a disciple when the word immediate describes your obedience. Not, not a dialogue with Jesus, not a pushback, not a let me pray about it for a while, let me think about it, let me text a few friends, let me go to church, let me call my pastor, let me read a few books about it, let me tell you, Jesus, why well, that's not such great of an idea, I have other things going on right now, you don't understand my world, you don't understand my situation. Instead, he simply stood up, he rose and followed Jesus. You know you're maturing in Christ when immediate describes your obedience. And so when Jesus comes to us and says, stop cheating, our response needs to be, yes, Lord. And when God's word comes to us or God's spirit comes to us and says, I want you to share the gospel with him, I want you to share the gospel with her, our response should be, yes, Lord. I want you to forgive that person. What should our response be? You can say it with me if you'd like to. Yes, Lord. Encourage the discouraged person. We should say, yes, Lord. Stop being so cynical. Can you say it with me? Yes, Lord. Put down your phone and listen to other people. Yes, Lord. Some of y'all didn't want to say yes, Lord, on that one. I know. I want you to love other people even when they don't love you back. Would you say it with me, please? Yes, Lord. Would you walk in freedom away from your addictions and we say, yes, Lord. Would you seek me first and my kingdom first? And we say, yes, Lord. Sing, even though you don't know the song. Yes, Lord. Trust me, even when you do not see me. Yes, Lord. Walk by faith and not by sight. Do you want to say it? Yes, Lord. Serve others, even when you have to sweat. Yes, Lord. And since you're so filled with yeses this morning, let me give you a few opportunities of ways that you and I can sweat this week. Opportunities to holy sweat. Here's the first one, and again, I'll repeat myself from last week. Meet a neighbor and bring a pie or a cake or cookies with you. I had three conversations this week with three Highlanders who took me up on that challenge last week, and all three of those stories were remarkable. So I should have told you last week, would you email me? and tell me the story of you bringing a cake or a pie. Don't be awkward, bring something with you when you go to your neighbor's house. Bring cake or bring a pie or bring some cookies with you. And would you let me know, would you email me this week and let me know how that went? And some of you are thinking, yeah, but I did that last week. I bet you have more than one neighbor. <laughs> Meet somebody, sweat it out. Have an engaging conversation. It might even turn toward Jesus. But really the, the purpose of this is not to make your neighbor your project, it's to make your neighbor a person and know their story and hear their heart. That's a great way for us to sweat this week. Here's a second one, be a reading buddy this next year. It only takes 30 minutes a week. 
at Dean Highland, you can be a reading buddy, or, or at Alta Vista Elementary, you can be a reading buddy. And I kind of debated this week, and even debated myself this morning, if I should say this next sentence. I'm going to go ahead and say it, and if it, if it irritates you or frustrates you, it's, it's john-durham at highlandbc.org. You can just email me this week. But I would match my busy schedule with any busy schedule in this house. And I'll tell you, my 30 minutes this past year, every week, spent with a kindergartner down at Dean Highland reading to him was one of the epic moments every week of my schedule. I mean, it, it meant missing a meal once a week. We all could probably be okay in missing one meal a week. I'm encouraging you to sweat it out these next two semesters and take on a kindergarten or a first grader at an elementary school here in our city and read to them. And in doing so, you know what you're doing? You're being the presence of Christ in a public school to a young man or to a young girl. Here's, here's the third thing. Bring a needed item to CareNet this week. CareNet is a pro-life, pro-adoption ministry in our city. And I called Deborah McGregor. She's a friend. She's the executive director. And I said, hey, I'm gonna talk about your ministry on Sunday morning. What do you need at CareNet? And she said, we need baby wipes and we need baby diapers. Pretty much anything that has the word baby in front of it, we'll, we'll take it. So baby wipes or baby diapers. And then she followed up by saying, and we need baby diapers size four and five. And I have zero idea what that, what that means. And so if that translates to you, that's great. If not, just baby diapers would be, would be awesome. Incredible way for you and I to sweat it out this week. Going down to 8th and Waco Drive at CareNet, Monday, Friday, 8 to 5, and bring some items to them. But, but preacher guy, it's a, it's a busy week. There's always sacrifice in service. If that is questionable to you, look to the cross of Jesus. There's always sacrifice. There's always sweat involved. Here's a fourth thing. I'm gonna go a little deeper on this. Forgive someone who has hurt you. Can I encourage you this week to kind of sweat that out and say, I'm God, I'm gonna forgive this person for their words or their actions or their inactions. And I would say sometimes the most Christ-like way for you and I to forgive people who have hurt us is not going to them and telling them in some noble way, hey, I forgave you for what you did, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to go to God and to forgive that person and to get out of that prison that you've, you've created for yourself. So this week, maybe a great way to be a servant to all is to serve the person who has hurt you the most by forgiving them. And here's the, the fifth and last practical way. I'd encourage you to sweat this week. Go to Gideons.org and give $5 to the Gideons this week. Gideons is the largest missionary organization in the history of the world. And there's a faith fund on there that you can give. Again, five, tomorrow's payday, so you can give $5 tomorrow, or 15, or 25, or 50, any dollar amount that has a five in it. Just, just give that this week. There's a thing called faith fund, and the faith fund and the Gideons.org goes directly to countries where people either have zero access to the Bible or it's too expensive for them. $5 in a lot of countries will actually buy a Bible. Pastor, I got a lot of bills this $5. To sweat it out with five or 15 or 50. And if there's 1,500 people at Highland this morning, that, that begins to multiply up pretty quickly. I hope your Bible's still open because I want to read the last of this story. This is important. 
In Mark chapter two, let me wrap up with this, verse 15. Let's finish out this story of Jesus calling Matthew. And as he, which seems to be Jesus, reclined at the table in his house, not the house of Jesus, but the house of Matthew. If you collect the other gospel writers, that seems to be the the case. And as Jesus reclined at the table of, of the house of Levi, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining. They were hanging out with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, there is again, many who followed him. They didn't want to miss a moment with Jesus. They were pressed up against him in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and Jesus eating with tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why? Why does he do this? Why does he eat with tax collectors? Why does he eat with sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that, friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're absolutely righteous in every way, Jesus didn't come for you. But if you realize that you're broken, that you're self-centered, that you can't fix your own life, good news, this is why Jesus was sent. He came to call sinners. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word this morning to us. We thank you for Christ Jesus, the servant of all who has led a pathway for us that we might be servants of God and now we're freed up to serve others as well. If if the Lord can, can come to serve, we can live to serve. So God, we thank you this morning for a pretty rough introspection of us asking ourselves, are we Pharisees or are we followers? Jesus, do we really love you or are we in this for the ritual? Do we grasp grace or do we just grasp performance God would you give us some grace this week to, to sweat it out serving you and serving others following in the footsteps of a sweaty savior who did not love us just with word but loved us with action who demonstrated his love, who acted out his love toward us, that even when we were sinners, he went to a cross on our behalf. That is love in action. So God, today we esteem this servant who is your son and who is our savior. And Jesus, any question you wanna ask us, the answer is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now give us the grace to rightly respond. In the name of Jesus, the servant, we pray and believe.